Zipper rolls out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20. Down to the 15, down to the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out. The crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield to fire. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. Mike Fitzpatrick back with you. The drama continues. We are still in the playoff mix as of today. On today's show, we have Wolverine.com editor Chris Ballas joining us to talk about that and, of course, what happened on Saturday down in Columbus. Before we get started, a program reminder. Now that the regular season is over, we will be back on our regular schedule of one show a week, which airs on Wednesdays. I will have two shows to preview the bowl game or the playoffs, depending on what happens this weekend. It will be an interesting start to December, to say the least. Here's my view from Section 17 to get us going today. After Saturday's game, I thought we were out of the playoff mix and would just need to wait until Sunday to see what bowl game we were going to. Then the CFP committee released their rankings last night. We dropped to fifth, but committee chairman Kirby Hocutt said the difference between Washington at number four and us at number five is razor thin. He said the committee spent over two hours debating who should be fourth and they struggled with it. So we have to sweat it out until this weekend. If you read between the lines, though, a Washington loss on Friday night against Colorado might be enough to push us to fourth and that final playoff spot. Or if Clemson loses to Virginia Tech in the ACC championship game, that could also open the door for us. But what if Penn State blows out Wisconsin or beats them convincingly in the Big Ten championship game? Does the committee move them into the fourth spot? So many things can happen and they have to happen if we're going to get in. One thing is clear. This year's committee wants the best four teams in the playoff. Strength of schedule and the eye test will be huge factors in their decision. So all I can say is go Buffs and go Hokies. I like Colorado's chances if Cephal Lufau plays, and that is in question because he is the best quarterback I've seen this year, and I think the best that Michigan has faced. He is capable of leading the Buffs to a win. As far as Clemson goes, they've been playing with fire all year, and Virginia Tech is on fire right now, playing their best football of the season. So buckle up for another stressful weekend. Chris Ballas is with me next on our game day segment here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. 
lot to talk about uh, after Saturday's game uh, down in the shoe, Chris. And let's start with the, the one thing that everyone is still talking about, it seems, uh, on the message boards, uh, my emails, that fourth and one in overtime. I'm tired of looking at it. I saw it on SportsCenter again last night over and over. So I'm going to ask you, do you think JT made it even if it really didn't matter? Uh, no, I, I didn't. And I think most people didn't. And, uh, and, you know, Jim Harbaugh asked all the media who saw it live, people that were on the field and in the press box in his post-game press conference. And, uh, they said, no, they, they didn't think he made it. He looked short, but at the end of the day, it's one of those where you're in a hostile environment. Uh, the official that marked it is right there on urban Meyer's sideline and, uh, knew exactly where he had to place the ball because the, the drive started at the 25 yard line. So, um, and, you know, it could just be what the guy saw. Maybe he didn't get a good look at it. Uh, who knows? But uh, I didn't think they took enough time to review it. And in, in a game like that, it, what it comes down to is uh, is a matter of inches. And on a call like that, it's going to go Ohio State's way, just like just about every other call does in every game in the shoe. Uh, that's a very tough place to play because the environment is so wicked. It, those people are uh, right on top of the action. So, uh, it's unfortunate because I thought the Michigan kids deserved better. I thought they deserved to win that game. A lot of things went against them, and everybody says, oh, don't cry, and yeah, Michigan's crying, and so on and so forth. You know what? These kids work hard all year long to put themselves in a position uh, to do something special, especially all these seniors that haven't had any success, haven't won a Big Ten championship. This was their opportunity, and in a lot of ways they felt like it got taken from them. A lot of Ohio State folks are saying, you know, hey, hey, don't cry about that last call because you could have stopped uh, Samuel and forced a field goal, but it comes down to what you control. That's true. But that fourth down one will loom large for a long time because that spot and those camera angles were completely out of our control. They were. And uh, I've heard people say that they should have cameras on the yard markers. Doug Karst, Michigan sideline guy, said that. And and in a game of that magnitude, let's be honest, the Big Ten and college football brings in billions of dollars. You know, spend a couple extra hundred thousand dollars to to put cameras on the, you know, to follow the, the action right on the yard line you know, or something, because it doesn't cost that much money, and it's your your objective to get it right. That's exactly what you have to do, and there wasn't a great view of that. The only sideline view that I've seen, it was a picture. You know, you've, you've seen so many doctored photos out there, Mike. You know, oh, look at, you know, and the yard lines are skewed, and they're, they're like uh, almost perpendicular, you know, people altering photos. Look, he made it, you know, but the one shot that I saw, he was about, like Jim Harbaugh said, about uh, a foot short. And uh, that's the way it goes, uh, you know. But uh, and Ohio State fans and everybody else has a has a point too that these kids had a chance uh, to get Samuel down on that play. Now, if you watch it again, there are about three guys being held, not a single holding call in that game either, which uh, Jim Harbaugh mentioned too. So, yeah, some of that's out of their control as well, but. It's just one of those things, man. It's kind of like the Mike Lantry field goal in 1974, for those who remember it. It looked good. I remember Joe Paterno. I was watching that game, um, a replay of that game about a year ago, and Joe Paterno was the, the color commentator on that one, and he said, ah, it looked good to me, you know. But uh, but you don't get the call uh, down there, and that's just the way it goes. And, again, it's unfortunate, and you hope that maybe, uh, you know, the football gods will be with Michigan, and somehow they'll sneak into that playoff and, and get another shot at Ohio State. I think that'd be a great way to end the year. One more thing on the camera angle, and we'll let that go, Chris. I'm wondering, you know, here we are. We're recording on Tuesday morning. You know the Big Ten office reviews uh, calls and games, watches and grades their officials, so they are going to look very closely at that. 
Can you imagine at some point during the week uh, or after the season? Because you know Jim Harbaugh wants an explanation on that call, that we are going mm-hmm. to hear anything in public from the Big Ten office regarding that. No chance. And uh, they, I think they're determined to make it a non-issue because of they've got two teams in the championship game now that nobody gives a crap about. Honestly, nobody wants to see that game. Everybody knows that the Big Ten championship game was really played Saturday. And uh, and I think that the Big Ten would probably feel like it's cheapening its Big Ten championship game. And, and they rally around their officials when they can. Uh, we asked for comment from the Big Ten. They promised us that we would get they would have somebody get back with us, and uh, they did not. So because, uh, you know, not only that, but uh, the question about the, the back judge who is from Ohio who was recused from the 2006 game, that's not a rumor. That's an absolute fact. Uh, you know, having missed about three calls in that game. <laughs> and, and you know, no, you don't say the fix is in, but it's human nature, man. If, if, if you've got a Michigan fan back there and you've got that – crowd going crazy around them, say, in Michigan Stadium, it's going to be, you know, what do you see? Uh, your your perception is going to be skewed by that. So uh, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that, that that was allowed to happen, and uh, that was a big faux pas by the Big Ten, and that it's something else I don't think they'll acknowledge. But uh, it's kind of spineless, in my opinion, to, to make it a non-issue. Come out and acknowledge your mistake, you know, in allowing that to happen. And if there are bad calls, you know, you're reprimanding Jim Harbaugh. How about reprimanding your officials who blew an awful lot of calls there on, on Saturday? That's not just us saying it, Mike. It's the national media, and I wrote a story about that. Mike Greenberg, you go right down the list. Even Jamel Hill, you know, who's a Michigan hater and a Spartan fan, and uh, Jason Whitlock, all these guys said it was one of the more one-sided officiated games that they'd ever seen. Well, right up until game time, Chris, we were all wondering, is it Spade? Is it O'Corn? Wilton, of course, got the start. Threw the ball well, I thought, all day for the most part. But again, those two picks were, in the end, the killers, Chris. They were. And I don't think he had complete arm strength. Um, You know, I don't think they wanted to take a ton of shots deep downfield. Uh, At the same time, one of those picks, the one, again, was on sketchy pass protection. I think Devion Smith probably missed the block. And uh, and just like the Iowa game, Wilton had a guy right in his lap when he threw that ball and he short-armed it, the one that was returned for touchdown. And then the second one, uh, you know, you get a screen pass out there where they should have been on the other side of the 50-yard line, gets called back, and Michigan uh, throws a pick a couple plays later. And it was probably a legit call, but in the grand scheme of things, the way that game was going, uh, kind of a face mask on Mason Cole for getting his finger caught in a face mask there, they could have let that one go and didn't. And uh, but you know it it happens and you have to play above that and and they couldn't and between that and a couple of non-pass interference calls the Amara Darbo call in the first quarter the Grant Perry call at the end of the game which was uh, uh, just so obvious both of those calls were so obvious that's like having five turnovers really because those were drive enders and in a game like that um, even when you outplay them as much as Michigan did with the exception of the fourth quarter. I think that uh, it's tough to overcome. So, And again, it's unfortunate, but Spate did have some great plays. That fourth down pass in overtime to Amara Darbo could not have been better. And there were guys that dropped balls again. And Amara had his hands on a couple of balls that, you know, in big games you have to catch, even if they're behind you a little bit. And Jake, Jake Butt had a drive-ender on the first drive where it hits him right in the chest. you got to make those plays in big games. 
to uh, to win comfortably and be able to overcome the officiating in a game like that. Still up in the fourth quarter, but that's when the offense went quiet or into a shell, whatever you want to call it. And I'm not sure if it was more Ohio State's defense or our lack of execution. We wondered about the offensive line all year, and there were signs that we thought, hey, it is coming along. But when we really needed some yards, especially on the ground in that fourth quarter, that was frustrating to watch Saturday, Chris. Yes, it was, and it reminded me, I was talking to John Jansen, Michigan's former great lineman, up in the box, and I said, you know, in the fourth quarter, it reminded me of the 96 game, you got a chance now to put your stamp on what kind of line are you. That that team grounded out a 13-9 win by dominating on the ground in the last and picking up first downs and moving the chains in the fourth quarter. They got five yards total in the fourth quarter, Mike, and mm-hmm. they won't cut it. And unfortunately, fairly or not, that kind of – secures the legacy of the line and of course it's not just them it's the entire offense but not doing its part and not being able to grind out the yardage that you need to put games away we've seen it uh, too many times we saw it against michigan state last year and this year uh even though michigan state wasn't going to win that game this year michigan had a chance to make it much more comfortable at the end than it actually was and then ohio uh or iowa rather you saw it uh, down there, they had a chance to grind it out, and and it just didn't happen. So, and just part of it's the play calling too. You have Jabril Peppers back there a couple times, and and Wildcat. Everybody knows what's coming. I almost would have rather seen him at tailback. You know, pitch it to him and give him a little bit more room to move out there or something, do something different, and uh, which obviously didn't happen. So, but that is what you got to you got to have these guys step up at the biggest moments of the game and make some plays. They did not. Uh, and I give them credit for what they did in overtime, being able to come back and, and move the ball, score a touchdown. Had another, again, another drive where Grant Perry just gets hogtied down there on a third down play. That could have resulted in a touchdown as well. Uh, I give them credit for battling there, but needed to be just a little bit better uh, in a lot of spots on, on Saturday and just didn't get it done. Well, getting back to the Jabril Pempers thing, Chris, I think most of us were waiting to see him do something different out of that wildcat against the Buckeyes, but Really, it didn't seem like there were any new wrinkles in, in what they had planned for him. Did that surprise you? It did. Yep, I would have rather seen him maybe on a jet sweep. Give him some momentum going forward because that's where he's at his best. He's so good when he accelerates and has some room and so good in making people miss when he has a little bit, a bit of room to do that. And that's what we didn't see. That's why I thought, okay, line him up at tailback, give him a pitch sweep and let him run. And I think uh, and give him a little bit more room and they're never going to catch him. And we didn't see that. So, yeah, I questioned that, I think, just like just about everybody else did. And then on second down, when you get down there inside the goal line, I, I would have left Wilton Spade in there rather than run that wildcat, even though uh, it took an ankle tackle to get him down one time. But, um, yeah, it did surprise me a little bit. I thought there were more imaginative ways that they could have used him. But at the same time, um, it is what it is now, and uh, it's all hindsight. So, It'll be interesting. Uh, I think this will probably be his last game, the bowl game, whichever bowl game Michigan goes to. And uh, uh, and when he leaves, it's going to feel like we didn't get to see enough of him, unfortunately. It's kind of like Mitch McGarry in basketball. You know, you got to see flashes of him, and but you didn't really get to enjoy him when he was at his peak, and uh, which I think Jabril would be next year. Jabril Pepper's mom has a 41-question uh, questionnaire, I guess is what it, she said. Yeah. She's handing out to agents and having them fill it out. So it does sound like he's on the way out. 
Yeah, and at least looking, you know, and uh, as he should. If he, the kid's going to be a top ten pick or a top five pick, and I'm not convinced of that. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people still have questions about where he'll play, but he's a he's an elite athlete. I think he could be a great safety. But again, you're talking about a guy that had one pick uh, in his Michigan career, and that was Saturday. It was a big play, and that one was deflected. So, um, but. You know, maybe at the end of the day, he says, man, I want to come back and, and beat Ohio State before I leave, and I want uh, I have a couple of things to do. It wouldn't be unprecedented. We saw Taylor LeJuan do it. We've seen all kinds of guys. We saw Jake Butt do it last year. Um, guys like that. Chris Wormley probably could have gone. So uh, Jordan Lewis, another one. But um, but at the same time, he is such an elite athlete, and, uh, and if again, if he's going to be a top-ten pick, then – he should go, but right now they're just feeling it out, and um, so uh, if I, we'll see what happens. But uh, either way, wish him all the best. He's been a great kid and a great ambassador for the university. Well, the defensive effort on Saturday from Michigan was just unbelievable until you know late in the fourth quarter. What a great game plan by Don Brown that was just executed brilliantly again until the final minutes of the game. Chris, it was just fun to watch. It was in eight sacks in the game, you know, and before the game we all said that's where we thought Michigan had its biggest advantage. You know, not a single holding call, by the way, which <laughs> blows your mind. And uh, I guess it doesn't. You know, I wrote uh, there was an article a couple of years ago where, Michigan, where Ohio State hadn't been called for holding in almost two years at home, which is uh, almost unfathomable. But, um, you know, I thought those guys played extremely well, and I thought they were tired in the fourth quarter and in overtime, and how could they not be? I mean, they played their guts out. And Don Brown had said going in, I think we got the formula here to, to win this game. And, and they certainly did. I thought that defense dominated. And I've heard guys like Skip Bayless nationally say that they think Michigan's defense is a hair better than even Alabama's, which is uh, saying something. And, uh, and again, it's unfortunate that we won't be able to see it on the national stage, at least in the playoff. It looks like at this point, you never know. But uh, they were dominant, and Don Brown earned every penny he got. If, I, if Jim Harbaugh were smart, and he is a smart guy, I would go to Don and say, I want you here uh, for as long as you as we can keep you here and uh, and give him whatever it takes to keep him here because he's elite. We saw it two years ago at Boston College, what did with that defense with a lot less talent. That's why I don't think they're going to take a huge step back next year. I think they'll have enough personnel where they're going to be able to do plenty. Uh, again, it's still going to be more talent than he had at Boston College when they led the nation in defense a couple of years ago. So that guy has been worth every penny they've paid him and more. Absolutely agree with that. Well, I've been amused by some of the uh, the reaction nationwide to Jim Harbaugh's post-game presser, Chris. Um, I mean, some of us that have been around for a while, long enough to remember Bo or Lloyd's pressers or uh, Woody's or Paul Bear Bryant's have seen a lot more than that, a lot louder post-game pressers. His comments, uh, while biting, I thought were very controlled. Uh, what was your reaction to what Jim had to say after the game on the yeah, officials? I was, I was right there, and uh, you know, I asked him the first question about the spot because we knew how he was going to respond to that, and that's when um, that's when he brought it up, and and I thought it deservedly so, man. And it's again, it's not just us and Michigan media saying it; it's the national media, and it needed to be said because there needs to be accountability there too. Everybody talks about, uh, for example, the Big Ten in their statement talking about the integrity of the game and when they were finding Jim Harbaugh, and that you know we have a uh, we have to teach our kids, you know, part of coaching is teaching the kids sportsmanship and i'm thinking you got to be kidding me hold your officials accountable when they blow calls left and right which everybody saw on saturday and and don't be cowards about it come out and uh 
and chastise them as well, especially the one guy who was recused from the 2006 game. You've got to you've got to accept responsibility as well, because that is the one thing that you didn't want out of this game was it for it to be controversial or to come down to people saying people other than just media on Michigan or Ohio State side saying that was a one-sided game and a travesty, which a lot of people are saying, and it's unfortunate because it taints the game and it taints the rivalry and it leaves one side feeling like they got hosed, which I think a lot of people think they did. So I give Jim Harbaugh credit, and I would have said the same thing to any coach in that position. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is who he is, and I give him credit. You know, everybody talked before he got here, oh, maybe he doesn't care about his players. I have not seen a coach up close who cares about his players as much as Jim Harbaugh. Is he hard on them? Yes. But he's like Bo Schembechler used to be in that respect and talking to a lot of Bo's former players. When he was there, uh, he was extremely hard on them, but he was fair. And especially after the fact, uh, he, they knew that he loved them and uh, and that they were like his sons. And I feel like Jim Harbaugh is exactly that kind of guy and learned from the best there. No, absolutely. And I, I, I was telling folks yesterday, if you want to see a rant, pull out some old Bo tapes of some pressers in the, in the 80s. I, I was thinking yesterday, too, I think the reaction to what Jim said and how he said it almost breaks down on generational lines. If you're, uh, let's say, under 40, you are so used to almost scripted post-game pressers now where you watch them and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And these guys don't answer any questions. Jim just very, very controlled, I thought, said what yep. most Michigan fans, a lot of people to watch that game really felt. Yeah, and that, that was refreshing. And it is refreshing because it's, it isn't. It's not canned, and he's going to tell you what he feels. And, uh, and I appreciate that about him. And, again, I would say the same thing about any coach, uh, you know, out there that, <clears throat> you know, it was, an in- it was interesting when he told us the exchange between him and the sideline official. And the sideline official was saying, uh, well, that's a technical in basketball, so I figured I'd throw a flag out of you, <laughs> you know. And uh, that's, that's something that every coach is going to share. But it's what makes it uh, what it's what makes him unique. And uh, I was thinking about it when I was looking at him in those uh, Woody Hayes glasses uh, a couple days later, and thinking, you know, Woody Hayes used to say, "You show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser," you know, and, uh, <laughs> which is always one of my favorite Woody quotes. And I thought, well, yeah, especially when you feel like your your kid's got a raw deal because he knows how much those kids put into that mic and and how badly they wanted it and how much they probably deserved it. And to see those kids get screwed the way they did. I'm sure still sticks in his craw and will for a long time. Well, this is on our game day segment uh, this week as we wrap up the Ohio State game and look ahead to uh, what's next for this Michigan team. But uh, still a few things uh, on Saturday's incredible uh, game, Chris. Tim May from the Columbus Dispatch said on Sunday that Michigan fans uh, have to be left wondering, if not this year, when do we beat Ohio State again? Uh, Ten wins for Ohio State in the last 12 meetings. I really never thought we'd see it come to this. No, of course not. And uh, but you know what? It's every they were saying the same thing this year. A lot of people didn't expect them to win this year, and they should have. And I, th- I don't think any Michigan fan feels that because you got Jim Harbaugh on your sideline. We saw how badly Michigan outplayed a very talented Ohio State team on Saturday for long stretches of that game. Okay, and uh, so it one year does not have anything to do with the next. And at some point, the bounces even out. Okay, they haven't. Uh, you can go back to 2007 when Chad Henney had a noodle arm and couldn't throw in that game. Michigan 
probably would have won that game with a healthy Chad Henney 2006. The bounces went against them, and the calls went down against them in Columbus. You can go right down the list. I remember Jim Trestle saying, you know, about his 9-1 and record against Michigan. Let's be honest. He said a lot of things had to go our way for it to get to 9-1 and beyond just his, you know, cheating ways. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. And you can go back to different games, even in 2005, um, you know, Michigan had that game won, and, and a couple things didn't go their way, and they gave up a, a drive at the end of the game. So, But those things tend to even out. Look at Michigan before the 12 out of 14. They were, you know, I think Jim John Cooper was, what, 210 or 211 and 1 against Michigan, and Michigan was getting all the bounces in the rivalry. So I think we'll get back soon to a point where it evens out, and you're going to see this thing go back and forth. This should be 1-1 one and one at this point. It's not. But uh, to say that, okay, Ohio State for sure, you know, I, I saw somebody tweet, there's no way that Jim Harbaugh is ever going to beat Urban Meyer. Let's get real here, okay? Uh, Jim Harbaugh will beat Urban Meyer. And uh, and what and if anything, it'll just, like Jim said, put steel on their spine and strengthen their resolve for next year. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, I thought, and his staff badly outcoached Urban Meyer for the most part of that game on Saturday. And it was just one of those things where uh, it, it almost, you don't call it a fluke, but uh, it just wasn't meant to be. Again, the football gods weren't on their side. So we'll see what happens going forward, but I, I guarantee you it's not going to be another five in a row or something like that. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's got too much talent on this team. And when he gets this thing going, don't be surprised with the way that Urban Meyer responded in that press conference at the, on uh, on Saturday. You know, if you have some of those moments where Jim, if he's up big, goes for two and makes it even more interesting, it's going to be fun to watch here. All right, well, let's uh, see what we have coming up next. I thought we were out of the playoffs after Saturday, and we'll know more, of course, tonight uh, when the committee releases the rankings. Anything could happen next weekend, and we need something to happen, but it's, it is hard to imagine the dominoes falling in place for Michigan to sneak in, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, and I wrote an article on this yesterday, however, uh, that all it takes is a one one upset in the Clemson or the Colorado game and, and you're going to have a two loss team and they're guaranteed and if you're going by the look test which is one of the things the committee does uh, what's the best two two loss team out there and I think you and I would both agree uh, just passing the look test that it's that it's Michigan depending of course on what happens in the the Big Ten championship game? Say Penn State goes in and blows out Wisconsin, for example. Um, then maybe they have a right. It, it, they would probably you'd have to probably say, okay, Penn State probably deserves to be there, even though Michigan beat them forty nine to ten earlier in the year. So, but what happens if Clemson loses and Colorado loses? Clemson has had closer calls against worse teams than Virginia Tech this year. You know, should have lost to North Carolina State. And uh, you know, North Carolina State missed a chip shot field goal that would have uh, would have won that game. And so, uh, if those two teams say those two teams lose in the Big Ten championship game as a stinker, then I would think that Michigan would have a, a legitimate shot. And again, if they're fifth tonight, if the if the uh, committee votes them fifth, and Washington were to lose, and and or Clemson were to lose, then I think you're right there, and uh, it'll be interesting to see way, which way it goes. But it's disappointing that it comes down to a vote. It's just the way it is, and and it's going to be, again, it's going to be something subjective that determines who the best four teams are, and somebody's going to be ticked off. And I've advocated for an eight-team playoff. I think that's probably the best way to do it with the five conference championships, as long as they play a championship game. 
the five conference champions and then three at-large teams. So I think that's probably the way it's going to be headed, uh, depending on how it plays out Saturday, because somebody's going to be ticked off. Well, however it plays out on Saturday, if uh, if those things don't happen for Michigan, it sounds like the Orange Bowl. That's the talk I've been hearing in the last yep. two days. Louisville or Florida State, hopefully it's Florida State, is uh, is where we're yep. headed, Chris. I think the Orange Bowl is on December 30th this year, too, isn't it? It is, yep, and uh, that'd be a fun one, I think. Michigan-Florida State down there. I think that's a game that a lot of people would want to see. Uh, and you know what another game a lot of people would want to see is number one Alabama against number four Michigan uh, in that quarterfinal or in that semifinal. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. I've been surprised before. And, uh, you know, a lot stranger things have happened than a, a good two-loss Michigan team getting into the playoffs. So we'll see what happens. But it'll be fun because you got the uh, the Pac-12 game on Friday night, and then you've got the ACC game and the Big Ten game on Saturday night. So at least, uh, you know, the fun part, Mike, is that Michigan's still in the discussion at this point of the year as a potential playoff team, and it's been well, far too long that uh, we've been able to say that. Very true. And uh, perspective right now is what I think all of us are trying to uh, to keep. When we were previewing the season in August, uh, the general opinion, Chris, seemed to be Michigan was going to end up maybe 9-3, and three, maybe 10-2, and two, especially with those three road games looming large. Uh, and of course, we lost two of those on the road, and that's how it played out. If we get a bowl win, uh, it could be an 11-2 and two season. That's if we don't get in the playoffs. Do you yep. think with time we're going to look back on this uh, as a good season or one of just missed opportunities in the final weeks? Anytime you finish in the top five, which is what they would do if they win the bowl game, you had a great season, uh, 11 wins in a bowl, in a, in a bowl game, uh, and especially when you lose the last two games on the last play of the game. You know, I mean, it's just uh, – it's just it is what it is. But uh, Iowa's better than Iowa was always better than we thought they were. You know they weren't playing well. They picked it up against Michigan. Now they're ranked number twenty-two in the country at eight and four. Uh, before the season, I predicted that to be Michigan's only road loss, and it probably should have been that way and wasn't. I thought they would beat uh, Michigan State and Ohio State on the road, which uh, you know if you go back and look at the spot, <laughs> they kind of <laughs> did. But it is what it is, and. Uh, so, but it, yeah, I think uh, I think there's no question that it's a successful season. But this was the year with all these seniors and all this NFL talent on the team that they could have. Um, but we said that how many years with Bo Schembechler? You know, you go back to 1985 uh, when they tied Illinois on the road after a disappointing loss to, to Iowa. Uh, if they would have done that, or in 1988 when. Uh, they let the Notre Dame game get away, and uh, Miami of Florida came back and beat them. That could have been a national championship team. It takes some luck, as well as we've seen. So, uh, and and so uh, they didn't get it this year, but in other years they probably will. And uh, if this team goes down as a as a bowl champion at 11 wins, that takes the next step toward what Jim Harbaugh is building here. And I think they'll look back at. Uh, this, these guys are having a, a strong legacy here. With us here on our game day segment this week has been Chris Ballas from TheWolverine.com. Chris, always a pleasure to have you on the show, especially feeling a bit under the weather today. So uh, thanks again for taking time to, uh, to talk with us for about half an hour here, and we look forward to our next visit. I can't wait, Mike. Thanks a lot. Quick Hits is next here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew.
On Quick Hits today, Jabril Peppers was named Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year on Monday, best kick returner, and linebacker of the year. He is the first Michigan player since Lamar Woodley in 2006 to win that honor. Now we wait to see if he is coming back for his senior year or heading to the NFL. Jordan Lewis was named the Big Ten Defensive Back of the Year, and Taco Charlton and Chris Wormley received first-team honors. Ryan Glasgow was named second-team, as was Kenny Allen. Matt Godin, Mike McRae, and Diamante Thomas were all honorable mention. Jake Butt was named Michigan's Big Ten Sportsmanship honoree. All 11 of Michigan's defensive starters were mentioned in some form on the All-Big Ten list. The offensive awards will be announced later today, which is Wednesday. Our free show app is available from the iTunes and Google Play stores, and we are now on the team at iHeartRadio. So make sure you join us each week for the latest news on your Wolverines this month and all year. Next week I'll be on vacation, but we still plan on doing the show, much to my wife's chagrin. It's the first time I've recorded the show away from the studio, so we'll see how that goes. I will be watching what happens this weekend with the conference championship games, and by Monday, we'll know what's next for Jim Harbaugh and his team. So that's it for today's show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Until next time, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!